Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting with Yazi Rashid, a young woman I've met here in Nicaragua, who I've gotten to know over the last, what is it now, a few months? Maybe half a year. Maybe half a year. Hey, how are you doing? I was about to introduce you, but welcome to the show. <laughs> um, and we have grown to become, I think, very good friends. And just learning a little bit about her over the last few months has become very intriguing to me because... Yazi is a 35-year-old German woman. Would you consider yourself German, even though you have mixed background of Pakistani and Bosnian? I just um, lent myself a line from somebody else, borrowed a line saying I have a German passport. Okay, so you have a German passport. You are born and raised in Germany. But it's intriguing to me because, so you're a 35-year-old woman. You're living in San Juan del Sur. You're working in a hostel. But Yazi has a PhD. Yazi has a PhD in ancient history and classical archaeology and that to me is fascinating the contrast of that when you see where she lives and how she works and knowing the time and effort that you put into becoming a phd student or having a phd like it's fascinating to me (laughs) so that's part of the reason i brought you on because i want to learn more about that and your decisions to leave all that behind and come to nicaragua but as well, just get to know you and a little bit more about, you know, what t- makes you tick. So welcome to the show, Yazi. Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. Um, before we get into the PhD and the commitment and all that it took to get to where you're at today, like maybe tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and what it was like where you grew up and, and what kind of inspires you. All right. So I was born and raised in Western Germany, um, very close to the Dutch border. Uh, my dad was born in Pakistan, raised in England, um, met my mom when he went to the army and, um, it's basically a village countryside. That's where I grew up. Was it all white? I mean, were you a minority? Uh, kind of. Yeah. My dad was one of the first foreigners, I guess, who came to the village, Mm -hmm. um, which I think wasn't always easy, but my granddad, my mom's dad took him in. Okay. And like um, took him in like before your parents got together or No, when they when they were together. Okay. So um he just had my mom's and my dad's back mm-hmm. somehow. Um Yeah, but I grew up anyway, anyhow, in a very multicultural environment mm-hmm. because my dad knew had a lot of friends at the army and they were from all over the places. Um so we had Mexicans come for barbecues. Um, mm-hmm. It was, but it was always something special in our village, until what you were something special in your well, village. Well, no, but 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 it was always something special having a lot of foreigners around. Okay, that's what I mean. I see. So it's not like being the only gay in the village, like in that <laughs> in that that British uh, comedy, Little Britain. No, 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 no. Um, well, and then after some time, there were a lot of a lot of people moving in, like mm. from all over places, I Turkey see. and. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, for you folks listening, Yazi has a very beautiful, exotic look to her. She has these beautiful light blue eyes, yet dark skin and dark brown hair, and I'd say uh, very attractive and just <laughs> unique looking, and just every like the combination of your genes is is quite remarkable. Thanks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, were you always so passionate about school and studying and ancient history and classical archaeology? Kind of. Um, I was never really too good in school, um, let's say average, until I finished my A-levels. And after my A-levels, I kind of got better and better when it comes to studying. I think because after that I could choose what I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't go to university straight away, uh, I started a traineeship as a travel agent um, in a travel agency that concentrated on um, travels to Ireland, 
Okay. Uh, but I only succeeded for three months. Because you just it didn't turn out how you thought it would. No, it didn't. And what? So what did you expect going into it? You'd be traveling. <laughs> well, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I expected it to be more adventurous and exciting somehow.、Mm. But in the end of the day, you sit in an office. Yeah. And you sell trips、mm. to the clients. Yeah. And、It's、that's funny, it. I had a, another guest on Crystal Romano who said the exact same thing. She got in the travel agency business to travel. And you don't go anywhere. You、yeah. sit there and sell trips, but you never get to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Assuming you probably get discounts, so you could. Was that something you did have access to? Is this good discounts to travel places? I could have gone to Ireland and done a lot of stuff there. Okay.、Um, but in the first, within the first three months, no. So it sounds like you had a a desire to always travel. There was something in you. If you're going to be taking jobs at travel agencies, you probably had a lust for traveling at a, at a young age. Did you get to travel a lot with your family? Uh, we traveled. Yeah, we went on holidays.、Um, we went on a few longer holidays in the USA,、hmm. um, but I can hardly remember. Why the US?、Uh, because my dad had few friends there who we visited, also、mm-hmm. from the army,、um, and who went to the US at some point. So we visited them,、um, but I don't remember really anything about that. I was six years old, I guess,、okay. and we went on a road trip for a few months together. I do remember the Cinderella castle in Disneyland, though. As you would, as, as most <laughs> children do. It's an、right. exciting place, even for many adults. <laughs> um, have um, you been back to Pakistan ever? No, I've never went to Pakistan.、Um, I, I kind of am still growing into that、um, because I think it will, it will do something to me. Go discover my roots and find out more about my roots.、Um, My dad and his family—they never went back. Your dad's never been to Pakistan. No, so he left when he was a child, together with his two brothers and my grandma. Did they have to flee, or was it like a choice?、Uh, no, but my granddad died,、um, and then they went to England because there was family there.、Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them ever returned,、mm. um, and th- they kind of gave me a. Like a, let's say a very distant, skeptical feel to it, which, which I just had and shared also. But the older I grow, the more I question that somehow. And yeah, what were they instilling in you? Like a fear? You're kind of saying, or no, not really fear. But I kind of have the. I think that my dad was pretty much.、Mm, Can I say occupied maybe with,、um, like cutting his roots? Okay. Somehow he just didn't really want to go back to that. Yeah, but I I don't I don't really know the reasons why. Okay. Um, we have talked about it. We tried to talk about it, but it's a very sensitive. It's very sensitive. It's so interesting.、Know. I'd love to know what what that is about. Well, maybe you can ask him one <laughs> I day. I can interview him when he comes <laughs> to visit because he's coming to visit you, isn't he? He's going to visit. Yeah, end yeah, of the year. Get him on the show. See what kind of misfit and reject he is. <laughs> He'd fit in the show somehow, yeah. <laughs> so then, when you did kind of discover that you enjoyed certain aspects of the educational system and and things within it, you chose ancient history and archaeology. Yeah, I、uh, so in school I had philosophy. Okay. And I always had a thing for ancient philosophy. Um, and then after I figured, okay, I don't want to become a travel agent and sit. In an office, eight hours a day. I'd rather go studying.、Um, I thought about what my interests were,、mm-hmm. and ancient Greek and Roman civilization somehow was one of my interests through philosophy in school. Okay, so you you just when you sat down and thought about because it's actually interesting when when you start to、um, research, say, starting a business or or. Maybe figure out what you want to do in life, and you start seeking like self-help gurus or whatever. They kind of always say like, "Why don't you sit down and and think about the things that you read?" For example, like、yeah. what do you find yourself mostly reading? And like for me, for example, I love reading cookbooks. I don't、mm-hmm. know why. It's just something when I'm going to read, I usually choose a cookbook.、Mm-hmm. And so that's how I discovered my passion for cooking and baking and everything like that. And so you sat down and thought back to the days when you were in philosophy class. Yeah. And the subjects that you really gravitated towards were what ancient Greek. Yeah. And you speak ancient Greek. Is that correct? 
Well, I don't speak it. I, I learned it. I can translate it. I wouldn't even say I can read it. Okay. But I could at some point. Okay. Um, but I know I know how to translate, find my way through an okay. ancient Greek text. Yeah. Wow. And so the goal was, it sounds like then, to become what? An archaeologist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, I think I had the romantic thought more of um, being able to travel. Okay. Um, but with a, with a different kind of background mm -hmm. and, um, maybe just like, like, uh, now I don't know the English word, but if you like show people around. Mm -hmm. Like a in, tour guide? Yeah, like a tour guide. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could be like somewhere in Greece and yeah. taking people around the, what is it, the pan Pantheon? For example. Okay. Yeah. Um, Do you know a lot about the Pantheon? Can you... Well, I, yeah, I do know about the Acropolis. Yeah, sure. But I think I couldn't, couldn't right now. Okay. Yeah. So you've lost your education. I, well, I wouldn't say that either. The thing about studying all of that really is that you, what I always thought was most important that you learn in university is there is a topic you don't know anything about. And what you learn is how to actually find out as much as possible that is valid mm -hmm. about that certain topic. Mm -hmm. um, and specializing in certain aspects during my studies just like made my knowledge very special also. I see. So, yeah. So, yeah, so what you're saying then is like when you do start to study these topics, this ancient history, you, you go in seeking a sort of truth because you're really just going through ancient people's perceptions and you're trying what find crossover between stories that you then say okay that might actually be really what happened exactly okay. that's exactly how it works um and i was asked a few times what my superpower would be if i could choose a superpower and i always said time traveling just because right now i would really love to go back and find out if what i actually wrote my phd about is like close or not even at all close to what really happened Interesting. So what was your PhD on? Uh, my PhD was on ancient Sicily, which was founded by the Greeks. Um, and it's in the time period, about the time period between the 8th and 5th century before Christ. Okay. And about how, about the political instrumentalization of religion and, um, let's say sacred building space within a town like how how does that work together okay. like how is an infra infrastructure build um why is it built in that way like the sacred infra infrastructure like everything that's that's connected to religious cults okay like it can be temples altars okay it's so like for example maybe what they how do they choose the site to build their worshiping yeah place within this structure exactly. Exactly. And why? And why? Yeah. And how many pages was your doctor uh, thesis? Around about 200 pages. And does it go from like a hypothesis to a conclusion? And you say, this is why they did it. And everyone <laughs> reads it and says like, Yazi's right. And then they argue, no, she's not. <laughs> like, uh, how many people do you think have read it? I don't know. Um, I wish it... I wish it to be like more than 25. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a published book. It's so a published book, yeah. That people can go and find and, and question or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's a published book. That's what we have to do in Germany is we have to publish a book. Okay. If we don't do that, we, we are not allowed to, to um, wear the title, PhD. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's, your books can be found on Amazon? Yeah, it can be found on Amazon. And what's, it, what's the title of it? It's a German title. Um, the title is... Oh, God, now let me think. Uh, you can say it in German. Yeah. Religion und Kult im griechischen Syrakus in der Zeit vom 8. bis zum 5. Jahrhundert vor Christus. Beautiful. I hope that is the title. <laughs> it's been five years. Wow, five years ago. So... You publish your book, you get your PhD, and then the academic world what embraces you and says, Yaz, we want you to come work at Oxford and and teach ancient history and 
Greek philosophy or whatever. <laughs> it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite like that. So I had already worked for three years at university um, during during my PhD. Mm-hmm. I worked in a project um, where I collected and translated Latin, ancient Latin and Greek inscriptions from nowadays Turkey. So um, you were in Turkey collecting these things. No, I did that. I did that from the office. So in the archives, you go through like, you Google it. <laughs> yeah, you go through the books. Wow. Yeah, you go through the books or even the digital world somehow. But also, um, at that time, I think everything related to ancient history. Well, people are still very analog, right? With mm-hmm. people that would probably always choose a book over an ebook and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a library over a database in the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so three years of working within the university structure, and uh, yeah. and and when you were finished and you had your book published, was it still a passion of yours, or did you lose all interest? I kind of lost. I kind of <laughs> lost everything. So um, for me, it really took away a lot of energy. Like the first two and a half years of my PhD were were great and good. Um, and I always knew that by the end of the day, there would be a lot of stress involved, um, a lot of hours involved per day. Um, I wanted to finish my PhD, or my, my goal the whole time was to finish my PhD before my 30th birthday, because there is a scholarship from the German Archaeolog- Archaeological Institute um, that if you get it, um, grants you one year of traveling around the ancient Mediterranean and they give you 17,000 euros for that. Wow. Yeah. So did that, you get it? No, I didn't. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it. Uh, I had the, I had to defend my thesis two days before the application for it ended. Uh, um, yeah. So it was a very, it was a very stressful time. Also, I was married at the time and, um, my marriage couldn't handle me not really being part of a relationship anymore, but only having a relationship with my thesis somehow. That was like my baby to be born at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, by the end of the PhD, I just had I just had no energy left for nothing. And I had always waited for that moment to be really proud. And um, but that. That took like years until I actually had this feeling for the first time of looking back and thinking, wow, you actually really, really did this. But that must have been a really beautiful moment when it finally did come. It was. It was. And And was it everything you expected it would be? The feeling and just the overall accomplishment? The feeling, not necessarily, no. I would have thought that it it would be more intense and last longer. Um, now it's not really about the PhD, but what, what I see now when I look back is just that I know I'm, I'm able to focus. I know I'm able to be very ambitious. I know I'm, I'm capable of doing something like writing a book about a topic, um, that I before didn't know anything about. Um, I, no, I can be very organized, structured, disciplined. Um, so that's all something where I can now say, been there, <laughs> done mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for something else. That's a really cool sort of conclusion that people do come to. I think who, even just by me finishing my bachelor's at university, knowing that I could sit through those hellish times and get through it and graduate with a degree. I mean, I think the educational system in America is a joke, personally. But the fact that I did accomplish that was very fulfilling. I could sit through it and get it done. And, and like you described, like I can be focused and I can be disciplined and I can like at least pass. And I think from the ex- contrasting the experience I've had now living in Nicaragua, it's, it's a very similar education that I'm getting from these sorts of environments where you give me enough time, I'll figure it out. You know, these, you start to feel empowered when you're in an environment like this that has so many things going against you at all times and you're navigating and having to learn and figure it out in a different language and things are breaking that you have to fix even though you have no skill set whatsoever and 
after and the timeline is different for everybody, but a certain amount of time passes and everyone kind of noticed comes to the same conclusion when they're living in a Nicaragua, they come to this place where like, I can actually do anything I want. I can accomplish anything. I've been here now a year, two years, whatever. And I know for a fact that you could drop me in Africa and I could redo the same thing. It's that confidence. That's really, I think cool about this environment. And then in the way you describe getting your PhD. I would agree on that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel empowered. I can do anything. There's yeah. nothing I can't do, really. That's rad. So then I'm still curious. So, so why not? So it sounds like you were burnt out and I didn't know you were married. That's interesting. And, but it sounds like the PhD took the toll, took a toll on the relationship. How long were you, did your marriage last? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I was 25 when I got married. Okay. Uh, we were together for seven years, uh, married for four. And we, we just didn't know how to handle crisis. Mm -hmm. We were, we were always just very much in love. Um, but yeah, and then the first crisis came and we couldn't handle. Are you still friends? No, we don't talk. No. We don't talk, but not for a specific reason. I it's think just, it's just maybe too painful and don't really want to. No, also it's not that. It's just going in two different directions. And I bet whenever we get the chance to see each other, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have a great conversation and a good time. Um, but, but for now, does I, he still live in Germany? I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. Uh -huh. Yeah. I don't really know, but that's in the past. I'm quite, um, also with that, um, I had a, I had a wonderful marriage. Uh, we had a beautiful relationship. Um, and it's just, just the way it is. Um, my wedding day was fantastic. So. I had that once in my life. Mm -hmm. Don't have to do that again. Okay. Um, I'm very much at peace with with how everything went because every single step of the way kind of brought me here mm -hmm. and I'm very happy where I am. So before we get to that moment where you chose to leave everything, I mean, it sounds like you were tremendously burnt out from the whole PhD experience and then the world of academia didn't grab you and pull you into it immediately after. So... Is that when you went and got the travel agency gig or, or what, what did you do right after you decided no more academics? Uh, well, when I finished my PhD, I was 30 and then I had another three years at university. Um, and at the same time I was freelancing for a history magazine, um, in, in Germany, one of the, well, one of the most prestigious. Yeah. Maybe we could say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they, and then I finished my three years at university, did the teaching, worked in the project. Um, and then when that ended, my contract there ended, um, the History Magazine actually offered me a job. So I decided I'll take the job. Um, kind of my dream job. Because you're very passionate about writing as well. Yeah, I love writing. Okay. Yeah, I love writing. And that job really... I think if I would ever have to go back to an office job, that would be exactly the job I would want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it was basically fact-checking, verification. Um, so I would dive into whatever topic we would have for the magazine. It could have been Israel, it could have been pirates, could have been um, Vietnam War, uh, whatever historical topic there there was. And then I would have like one article and this article written by one of our journalists um, I would fact check every single word. And that was, that was such an amazing, it is such an amazing, great work because you really learn a lot. Um, and because it's very, very deeply connected to language also. And I love language and I love German language too. Yeah. So they offered me the job after freelancing for them for five years, which was kind of an accomplishment also. And then I had a gap between university ending. Um, my job at university ending and starting for the history magazine. That was a gap of three months. And, um, yeah, at that point I decided, okay, I want to go travel at least in that time being. And then I picked Nicaragua. Randomly. Very much. Yeah. I, th I thought I would always, I, n I kind of always wanted to go to Central or South America. Um, because a lot of my friends had traveled here. Um, and then I thought about it. But to most of the countries, I had some kind of image somehow in my head. 
like I, I could kind of imagine what Mexico might be like or what Guatemala might be like. But Nicaragua was something that I only connected with good coffee. That's the only thing I knew, really, or had heard about it. Um, so I picked Nicaragua. So in between that time period of transition from the university to your new job, you had three months and you chose Nicaragua to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I came to Nicaragua. So Nicaragua was six for six weeks. Um, then after Nicaragua, I went to Portugal and after Portugal, I went to Turkey and then I went back to Germany to start a new job. And the six weeks in Nicaragua, I spent most of my time in Ometepe, uh, mm-hmm on the island and it was the first time that I traveled and didn't really move because before I would always go everywhere like in every museum mm-hmm. uh, every archaeological site there was conquer history and culture somehow mm-hmm. but um, in Ometepo here in Nicaragua for the first time it was solely about myself me traveling doing whatever feels good relaxing um, yeah with your degree and interest in history, did you learn a lot about the history of Ometepe? No, I didn't. You didn't? I didn't. But uh, the only story, myth, legend uh-huh. um, that I did learn about and that I loved straight away was um, was how the the island of Ometepe actually was born. Let's hear it. <clears throat> what do the locals say? Um, so... It is said that there were two young lovers at some point um, from two different Indian tribes. His name, Nagrando, her name, Ometepel. Um, But the two of them couldn't be together because their families were in territorial war. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a law saying no, no interactions allowed between one and the other. Um, so the two young lovers decided... They had only one choice, and that was to be together in an afterlife. So they stood on the rock, and they cut their wrists, and the water of the lake of Nicaragua is said to be the blood of the young lovers. Um, they both fell backwards, and uh, the island of Zapatera is a part of the body of the young lover Nagrando still sticking out of the water. The male. The male and um, the two volcanoes uh, are like the chest breast of the woman, Ometepel, who's lying there with her chest and heart wide open. Wow. For all the listeners out there, Ometepe is a magical island with a lot of history. Like history that the little bit I know about it is astonishing because a lot of the clay that you'll find throughout all of Central America came from Ometepe. A lot of the pottery, it was like a, a hub if you will, like people traveled to get these, this type of pottery apparently from the other archaeologists that have been there and I've spoken to. So it's really fascinating. This island has a lot, a lot of history of people traveling to and from all over Central America. Um, and then so you went back to work. You went back to work at the magazine or did you never show up? <laughs> no, no, I did. I did. I was excited. I was really excited for that new job. Um no, I, I went, well, then I went to Portugal first, and then I went to Turkey, visited a few friends, and then I went back to Hamburg to start the job. Um, and then the first thing that happened was that I should have started, I think it was 1st of March, um, but for some reason my contract wasn't set up. So I couldn't start 1st of March. Um, and that was the first thing that didn't feel too good because... I had come back from my travels just like to start working and it was just kind of a bummer somehow. Um, but anyway, um, I started working without the contract and still as a freelancer. So we kind of solved that problem. Um, and then I did start working. It was all very exciting. I loved it. I loved the team. I loved, I loved just being there and part of it and creating together with them. Um, and then I did know that in September, so half a year later, I would want to go to a festival in Croatia. Um, so I, I went to my boss and I asked him, um, I know I'm, I can't take any holidays like within the first few months, but since the contract hasn't started when it should and na, 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 um, 
so I would like to have five days off in September. I asked him this in March. Mm -hmm. And he said no to that proposal, although all I wanted was five days off. And my whole team was okay with it. Everybody said, it's not a problem. We'll be there. Mm -hmm. But he said no. And that took away so much freedom. From that moment on, every day, I thought, I can't do this. I don't want to be part of this. I, I want to make my own life decisions and I don't want anyone else to tell me what I'm able to do or not to do. So in the end, it was me not wanting to have a boss anymore, but mm -hmm. kind of being my own boss. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was this moment where I would go to work after a few weeks, same way with my coffee to go in my hands. And I remember one day it was just different. I would go the same way with my coffee to go, walk around the corner. And then I just thought, I don't want to be doing this. For how long? This is like, where does this end? Um, yeah, and then I decided, okay, so I'll quit. <laughs> I'll quit. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. It's been great. Um, but now it's time to kind of find the satisfaction for that longing I always had to, to go travel and mm -hmm. see the world. Mm. And then I took a few weeks to think about it and how I would do it and when I would do it. But I did it within my three months of, uh, like, I also don't know the English words, like a test. Oh, yeah. You have like a time like, period set so they know if you're going to work with the company and you exactly. know if you like the company. Yeah, exactly. So I did that. I, I quit at the at the last day of these three months. Wow. And you had enough savings to then? <laughs> no. No, I didn't have any savings. Um, I maybe had around about 600 euros. Yeah. Um, that was enough for my, for my ticket. Um, ticket to, back to Nicaragua? Uh, to Cancun, actually. Okay. I, I flew to Mexico. Um, but yeah, no, no savings, nothing. It felt, it was probably the wildest thing I've ever done in my life because I had no security net whatsoever. I mean, I knew I wouldn't end up on the street, obviously, but, but. You have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, it just, and yeah, I just, I just did it. And. But let's, I want to hear the details of this because this is really cool, actually. And I didn't know this about you. You had literally 600 euros in your savings account. You had an apartment, I'm assuming, with all your shit in it. And really, that's it? Like, what'd you do? Did you put it all in storage, buy a ticket with 600 euros and land with no money? <laughs> yeah, more or less. More or less. So I rent an apartment in Hamburg. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I found someone to sublet it to while, while my time gone. Um, so that was handled. Um, I didn't have to take care about storage or anything. Okay. I just left everything in my apartment except for two boxes with like private stuff mm -hmm. that I left with a friend of mine. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. And my 600 euros. And, um, yeah. And then at some point I just thought about where I would want to go. And I had a friend she wanted to go to. And together we first wanted to go to California. Uh, maybe make some money there. But then in the end, we decided, no, nah, we don't really want to do that. We don't want to make this whole travel about money or like start it with like the fear of maybe not having enough money to travel. Uh, we just thought that felt wrong somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So we booked a very, very cheap ticket to Cancun. It was only 260 euros, I think. Okay. So I even had some money left. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then we went there and, um, let's say with the universe's guidance, we had, we had places to stay for free because friends have places or no friends who, who let us stay. We, we started, um, doing exchanges. What do you mean? Like work? Like I worked for a few hours for a place to sleep and some food? Yeah, kind of. So not really in the volunteer program, but for example, in Isla Mujeres, we went, um, so my friend was a DJ, is a DJ, um, and uh, we just wrote messages to bars um, saying, hey, it's the two of us, I can play music, um, I can do drawings, uh, maybe you have a place for us to sleep uh, for a few nights and some food and some drinks and we can, I don't know, paint your table and 
Raya, my friend, can play a night of music. Mm -hmm. And that worked. It worked so very well. And um, our first time was in Isla Mujeres in Mexico. Okay. Um, and we ended up being very, very good friends with the owner of the bar, Beach Bar. Yeah, and I, we painted our first mural, <laughs> which, uh, which I'd never done before, but which just felt like, yeah, I can do this, sure. Uh, and it's beautiful. And so you land with a roughly 300 euro, 350 euros, say, in Mexico, and you're emailing locations, like touristic locations, bars, to kind of just like basically hop around. So once you're in a location, it sounds like you more or less stay for free. And then the way that you are spending that last 350 euros is the transportation in between locations. Or are we hitchhiking? Yeah, no. That, in Mexico, it was a lot for the transportation. So the buses. Yeah. And then how did you make your way back to Nicaragua? Um, very fortunately, I met or we met um, two guys who were traveling in a VW van um, from Mexico. They were on their way down south. Uh, Nicaragua, Panama, Costa Rica, eventually. And they, uh, they took us. So. Like in exchange for what? Gas money or? Yeah, in exchange for gas money. And, uh, we earned that on the way by buying some stuff in Mexico on a handicraft market, selling that on a festival, um, in Guatemala, or I started giving massages on the way in exchange for money. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. how long ago was this? I mean, how long have, You've been away now from Germany? Uh, almost a year. So you left, you landed in Mexico with 350 euros and you've managed to stay away for over a year or almost a year. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. It worked. So the first few months it was a little bit wilder. Everything was a little bit wilder. Um, Meaning what? Your intake of alcohol and drugs? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no. Um, just from the, like, day-to-day -day surviving somehow. Yeah, yeah that's, that was wilder. Like, I literally didn't have any idea how my next day would look like and, and where and how I could earn some money. Mm -hmm. um, that has changed. Now I've been in Nicaragua since the beginning of the year. So now you've been in Nicaragua since the beginning of the year. I've been in Nicaragua since the beginning of the year. 2017. Yes. Beginning of 2017. Yes. So survival was hard at first, and you kind of found your rhythm, like how things kind of flowed when you're on that survival trail of bouncing from one bar to another. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even call it hard. Like hard is really the wrong word, but wild. It was a wild experience just because I came from like corporate academic setting, right? Mm -hmm. um, Germany, like the land of security. Um, and then there were so many insecurities, but they never felt hard. They always felt adventurous and good and wild. Um, but then when I, when I actually came to Nicaragua, I kind of ran out of money. Um, and I and knew. And like literally, like you're not speaking figuratively, like you literally didn't have that, any money left in your bank account? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I, I might have had a little bit. And, and also I, I like, I bought very cheap, like what necklaces and some dresses in Mexico. And I still had those on me um, okay. to like in the end of the day, maybe be able to just sell it on the streets or to people I meet in a hostel. Okay. Um, so I never felt, I, I never really felt like I had nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but the moment I, I kind of knew I had run out of money that was in San Juan del Sur. Um, so there I started, um, I started just walking through town and asking in hostels and hotels if they might need an artist uh, to paint walls okay. for a free stay. Okay. Um, but that didn't that didn't go too well. Um, I asked in like twelve or thirteen places, but then the last place I asked was Casa Oro, um, which is like the oldest hostel in in San Juan del Sur, and um, ta-da! They actually needed someone to paint walls or to manage. To be the, be an artist volunteer. Okay. Yeah. Um, meaning painting walls, maybe doing recycling and upcycling projects. Um, yeah, doing whatever artwork one could imagine really for the hostel. Hmm. Um, because the two resident artists they had, they were just about to leave. 
So, um, yeah, it just happened to be there at the perfect time, really. Mm. It's really cool. You touch upon something that Hayden Melville talked about, another gentleman I, I interviewed about just making it around the world within this niche sort of exchange service-based way of life that many travelers find where you can get around the world by just volunteering your unique skill set. And it's just incredible just to hear your story and how long you've lasted doing these sorts of things. And, and it hasn't, it's been effortless for you, as you said, like it hasn't, you had your struggles, I'm sure, you know, your ups and downs, but more or less, like it's fairly easy for you to kind of live with very little money, um, exchange your services for a place to stay, some food, maybe a beer or two. And it's, I think now you're even getting paid, like you're starting to make money. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm making money, <laughs> but now I have some money. Yeah, the first two months I was a volunteer. So the volunteer program there says you work 25 hours a week. You get two days off in a row per week. Uh, you work five hours a day. You get the you get a bed, you get breakfast, um, and you get discounts on restaurant and coffee bar prices. Okay. Um, and there was a volunteer kitchen, so we could cook. And, well, in the days where I didn't really earn any money, cooking was basically eating avocado and papaya. Okay. Um, but, yeah, and that cost, like, nothing mm -hmm. um, and tastes good. I could have done that for a longer time also. Okay. And then at some point, um, the, the manager of two of the bed and breakfasts that Casa Oro also owns in town um, kind of left more or less all of a sudden. Um, so I was there and I said, well, I can do customer service. Great. It's two bed and breakfast. You get to meet travelers. I like to talk to people, hear people's stories, write about people's stories eventually. Um, so I did that volunteering instead of the artist part. Um, and then after my two months of volunteering finished, my boss actually offered me a job. And uh, now I work in the two bed and breakfasts. Uh, it's a full-time job. I still have two days in a row off, but I earn $300 a month um, and I get a place to stay. It's incredible. Are you saving any of that or does that all go back into uh, beer? <laughs> well, most of it, I guess, <laughs> goes into beer, probably. Uh, I, had, I had a month or two where I actually saved something like $30, or a little bit less than that. Uh -huh. And it felt great at the end of the day to just be able to say, hey, I actually saved $30 from $300. Um, 10%. Yeah. And I just really love being detached from, 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 from money somehow, or at least from the fear of not having enough. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I mean, in Germany, if anybody would have told me you get $1.5 per hour for whatever work you do, I would have said, well, no, thank you, right? But, um, but here and now it's all different. I, yeah, I don't, I don't need money, really. And that brings me to another interesting thing about you that I've just learned because you're about to buy a house <laughs> <laughs> with no money. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's fascinating to me because you found a little house where, um, in Marseille, between Marseille and Madeiras, which are two, nice beaches a little bit north of San Juan del Sur. You have a job that pays you $300 a month that you barely save $30 a month. And the house costs roughly like $50,000, I think, right? Yeah. It's a nice big, it's a pretty decent sized property. You showed me pictures. It's got a nice big garage for a car and then a nice um, house. I mean, it's what, two, two bedroom? Yeah. A little bath and kitchen or something like that. Deep in the jungle, beautiful, like this long path up to it. Like it's a really cool setup. But, I mean, how is this going to work? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, how is this going to work? So I'm still working on that part. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I've been looking for, for properties, ma mainly really for land, um, since I got here, just because I love Nicaragua so much and I can really imagine myself staying here for a while. Um, yeah, and then, well, when it comes to, to, to actually buying a house, I do feel kind of crazy at the moment with, mm -hmm. with knowing I only earn $300 and I'm about to, to, to buy a house that's like 50k. Um, but 
I know I'm gonna make it work somehow, so I do know how to earn money, right? There's, there's possibilities of like going to work in California. Um, there's possibilities of, um, working in, in Mexico and earning some money there. And, but at the end of the day, now is the time where I actually need help of my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh that's one reason why i'm going back to europe in in two weeks um for six weeks is not only to make a clean cut and and sell all of my worldly belongings that i still have um no it's also because i because i will have to ask my friends and family for for money for support um but i'm very i'm very positive (laughs) that it's going to work out um my dad's already told me he's going to help Somehow, in the end, I will take up a loan. It's not like anybody will give me the money to buy the house. I will have to take up a loan. With your father as well, like he wants his money back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I will, well, maybe it's going to be more than one loan from different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, well, and then I will have to focus on paying it back in the next few years. Mm -hmm. You you touched upon, you know, you can go to California, make money, go to Mexico, make money. What about Nicaragua? Is, is there not the same kind of opportunity to make real money, like the kind of money that you could pay your loan back within the first three years here in Nicaragua? Uh, I think there is possibilities, yes. Um, but um, I think maybe they're... Well, I don't really know how to say it. They're, there is possibilities, yes, I guess so, but they're not as set already. So I do know about the hotel in, in Mexico that I could go there. Okay. Uh, I do know about California that I could go there. Mm-hmm. I have tons of ideas how to make money in Nicaragua, yeah. uh, but I just haven't, I haven't done it yet. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of going in the direction of interior designing. Uh, I might have the possibility to help with the interior design in one of the new resorts in uh, San Juan de Sur. Okay. Um, uh, Casa Oro is expanding, so maybe there will be a possibility too. Um, then uh, we have a common friend, Magenta. Magenta and I had talked about maybe fusing our forces and um, going into property management together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of positive. There, there will be ways for me to, to make money and to pay the loan back. Also from maybe just renting out the place on Airbnb. Yeah. Um, it's a two-bedroom house. I don't really need that big a garage. So um, there's enough space and it's, it's the perfect setup to maybe just rent it out and pay the loan back from the money I earn through renting it out. Yeah. And I just go on. Maybe working for Casa Oro or, you know, living in the hostel. I don't really, I don't really need that place to live right now. It's just something that you feel is the right timing for you to start striving to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could be more patient. Let's say it that way. I could be more patient about moving into a place of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons why I, I want to buy that, that house and property is, is because I actually feel the need of needing space mm-hmm. um, of my own and, and, yeah, and having the possibility to, to be creative and do some arts, um, play some music, write, just like somewhere in the jungle, secluded in my, on my terrace with my cup of tea. <laughs> That's beautiful. So there is no then real desire to go back to Germany and join the, the rat race of Germany or get back into corporate Germany. Do you ever see that happening or this is not at all. Yeah. I I really cannot imagine myself going back whatsoever. Um I'm I'm starting to be a little bit anxious also about going back in 2 weeks. Um just because I know that it has felt good every day not to be part of it, not to be there, which doesn't mean that I don't eventually miss my friends and and family and I'm I'm happy to see see them again. Um but everything that's just like related to Germany when it comes to being in a rush, being part of the system, the sec- security always being being something that's important to everyone, um, money always being something that you really need to have because it's so expensive to live there. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't see myself going back. So there's no fear of of the future and, and what might come of um, the lack of knowing, you know, where you don't know what's going to happen next and that's okay with you. 
that's the beauty of my life as it is right now. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I what I love and what I don't want to lose ever again mm-hmm. is that I know the future is unwritten. Mm-hmm. I never know really what tomorrow looks like and what is going to happen tomorrow and who I'm going to meet. Um, and yeah, I don't want to I don't want to change that ever again. It's beautifully said. I mean, we could end it on there, but maybe one more sort of philosophical question, like if you could give somebody advice to make that change in the way that is nagging at them because they don't really know how to do it. Is there something you could say to somebody who's listening that's maybe helping them make that final cut or that final push to choosing a life that they really want for themselves? I think my advice would always be whatever you want to accomplish in life and wherever you want to go and whatever you feel you can't go, can't do or you can't, or where you can't go, um, is concentrate on choosing love over fear, mm-hmm. whatever that means for, for you. Um, but just having trust also in yourself. Uh, I think that's, that's the main part. Um, feel good in your own skin and then you can you can do anything you like it's just everybody else probably who tells you or suggests you maybe can't mm-hmm. society it's wherever you grow up um whatever educational system you grow up in um yeah but i think choose love over fear and nothing can happen to you mm-hmm. everything is possible mm-hmm. yeah it's really nicely said and, and we hear that a lot you know a lot of people close with a similar sort of like statement you know and i think for people out there sometimes it's hard to really understand and feel that you know but i think with your story like you just opened yourself up to getting that one way to mexico with very little money and look where you landed you know it is possible like you were your steps that you've taken i think are steps that somebody else could follow like you know there are hard times ups and downs people do get unlucky you know people get robbed and like they lose everything but you know a lot of people then continue on like Johnny episode one got robbed the first day he landed in Argentina with everything, but he stayed for a year, figured it out and you can make it work. You know, you just got to try, but uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for having me. Jason. Thank you for listening to misfits and rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at and possibly make a big decision to, Choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.